Father in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity to study your word and just to review some of these promises you've given. They're, they're familiar. We, we all know them. We've read them before. But I pray that somehow they would just speak to us in, in a new, a, a fresh way, that something would be kindled in our heart and you would just encourage us and strengthen us tonight. Thank you so much. Again, we invite the Holy Spirit to be here, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The promise I want to talk about is found in the book of John, one of the most familiar promises. I'm sure you probably all could quote this, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, Let not your heart be, what? Troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then this amazing, wonderful promise. In my Father's house are... Many mansions, or some versions say many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for, for you, for me, for each of us. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, in the context, Jesus was meeting with his disciples there in the upper room, and he knows he's about ready to go through the most difficult part of his experience here on earth. He's about ready to be arrested and taken to the cross. And, and we know the whole story. And he's meeting with the disciples here at this last minute, trying to prepare them for the worst crisis of their life. He says, I'm going to be leaving. If you skip back just a few verses to chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus says, little children, yet just a little while I'm with you. I'm not going to be here much longer. You're going to look for me. You're going to seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, just like I told the Jews, I'm going to be leaving. I'm going away. And you're not going to be able to find me. You're going to want to look for me. You're going to want me to be there. But you're not going to be able to find me. He knew his time on earth was almost finished. He was about to return to his father in heaven. Wherever that is, somewhere up there. You know, one of those stars up there, maybe. And he's going to be leaving the disciples behind. Verse 36, chapter 13, Peter said to him, Lord, where, where, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. And you're gonna, there's going to be a little delay. There's going to be a wait. There's going to be some things you have to go through first, but the day is coming. You're going to be able to go to heaven too. You're going to be able to go to the same place I'm going. You know, can you imagine what it's going to be like to go to heaven? I don't know about you, but I have a real interest in uh, the, uh, the space industry as it's burgeoning right now. You know, I'm just really fascinated by astronomy, and I, I try and keep up with quantum physics. I don't really understand it, but I read every news article that comes out. You know, I'm interested in Einstein and relativity, and, you know, I try to keep up with all the latest technology news, keeping up with NASA. In fact, today I had a little time this afternoon, I was thinking, maybe I ought to drive over to Hawthorne and go to SpaceX, you know, see their bill, just to say I'd been there. And, you know, I'm kind of interested. It's like I don't have a lot of hobbies outside the Bible and whatever, but, but I thought if I have one hobby, this is probably it, trying to keep up with what's happening in our world. And just imagine what it would be like to be able to go to visit other planets. Sometimes I, I think the reason I'm fascinated by this is when I look at all the suffering in this world, and I saw so much of it as a pastor, so I got close to people, and we had a pretty good-sized church, and so many people are going through so many different struggles and challenges, and your heart just breaks, and you almost feel like you're kind of trapped in this world, and you think, if I could just get out, go somewhere else where there's not all this heartache and suffering. 
Well, we're not going to figure out how to get out of this world. Jesus is going to be the one to take us out of this world. Amen? It's not going to be SpaceX or NASA or anyone else. It's going to be Jesus. And right now, he's preparing a place for us. This is really actually important for us as believers. Sometimes I think we minimize or, or underappreciate the importance of our belief about heaven. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Just a few books over. Hebrews chapter 11. You know, this is the great faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 13. After describing all of these great heroes, Noah and Abraham and so on. And in verse 13, he, he describes what they all had in common. All the great heroes of faith. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them and embraced them. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. This place is not our home. This is not our world, right? We're, we're citizens of another country, another place. For they which say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, another country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out of, that is, this world, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Sometimes Christians think about going back into the world, don't we? But they desire a what? Better country. That is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, the thing that keeps us from ever having even the chance of turning back to this world is we know that God has prepared something better for us. Well, we, we, we've seen it, we've embraced it, we, we believe it, and we're heading for it. And, and nothing's going to change our, 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 where we're heading. This is what we want. Amen? Amen? There's a reward for God's people. We live our lives looking for a better place. Remember when I first became a Christian? You know, that's often when it's hardest for new believers. I lived a pretty wild life as a young man, and I had a pretty dramatic conversion and it was like one of those 180-degree changes. And I had to leave all kinds of habits and just drop everything. And, you know, that's hard to do, isn't it? And I remember when I was struggling in those first few months of being a Christian, every once in a while, this song would come on the radio. Now, this was a long time ago, and probably none of you ever heard this song. I don't even remember the name of it, but it was a song about heaven. And it would just come on the radio just at the right time when I needed it. And when I was struggling the most with all the bad habits and the, and the things I was getting rid of out of my life, I would remember there's a promise of heaven. And it would encourage me. It would strengthen me. Over the years, I've spent a lot of time thinking about heaven. Maybe too much time. I remember my daughter and I, we used to sit around the, the dining room table and we'd bring out a brick sheet of paper and we would design our houses. And I got a, I got a floor plan for my house and have it already planned out. I mean, it's going to be pretty exciting. I've been working on this for a while. I'm excited about it. And heaven needs to be that real to each one of us so that we never have to worry about losing heart when things are tough in this world because we know we have something better. Amen? We are going to build houses in heaven. You know that, don't you? If you turn back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, just reviewing a few familiar prophecies, some verses I'm sure you've all read before. Isaiah 65, right there near the end of the book, there's that chapter that says, I'm going to create new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Remember the passage? It talks about how the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the, the lion's going to eat straw like the bullock and so on. 
Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Well, right in that same passage, look in verse 21 to 23. They shall build what? Houses and shall inhabit them. We're going to plant vineyards and we're going to eat the fruit of them. We're not going to build and someone else inhabit. We're not going to plant and someone else eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and they shall long enjoy the works of their hands. We're not going to labor in vain. We're not going to bring forth for trouble. For we will be the seed of the Lord, the blessed of the Lord, and the offspring, and our offspring with him, with us. We're going to be able to do things in heaven, build, build real houses and real projects and plant real gardens. And, and we're going to be able to enjoy the fruit of our labors. And we're not going to have to worry about someone coming along and messing it up or destroying it or some problem. When we put our hand to do something, we're going to have success. Success. I'm not going to labor in vain. Heaven's going to be a real place. With real activity, we're going to have real goals, real plans, real dreams. We're going to do real work, and we're going to experience real accomplishments. We're not just going to have these country homes. We're going to have a place in the city. Amen? God has prepared for us a city. And Revelation, of course, talks all about this city. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. After the thousand years have been expired... Fire comes down from God out of heaven. You remember the, the passage there? And sin and all wickedness is going to be destroyed forever. In fact, it's never going to... Even the elements themselves are going to melt. Everything's going to be recreated, fresh and pure, beautiful, once again. Notice what it says. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 and 2. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there's no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? This beautiful, amazing city that Jesus has been working on, preparing. Everything is going to be just right, just perfect. And it begins to settle on this planet. Verse 3, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. His capital is going to be here in this world. This is going to be the headquarters for, his entire, for the entire universe. And the city, the, this capital city, will be right here on planet Earth. Verse 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. All these things that we experience in this world are going to be gone. No more poverty. No more drugs. No more disease. No more crime. No more loss. It's all going to be gone. All of it. I can't wait. I can't wait. And it's almost unbelievable. So John has to throw in one more verse. Verse 5. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are what? True and faithful. You can count on it. This is sure. This is real. This is going to happen. Zechariah chapter 14. You don't have to turn there, but it suggests that when Jesus returns at the end of the thousand years, he's going to set his foot on the top of the Mount of Olives. And it's going to split in two, make a big, gigantic plain. And the city is going to land right in the middle. We know quite a few things about this city. If you look in verse 16, for example, 
says the city lies four square. The length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Now, I looked it up on Google. I was curious. And a furlong is about an eighth of a mile. So 12,000 furlongs is about 375 miles. So in other words, one edge of the city, just going up one side, is about the same as the distance from Los Angeles to San Francisco. That's just one edge of the city. You know, you make a big square, right? Not just a few cities sprinkled around. The entire area is one city. In fact, if you calculate the total square footage, it's give or take a... 10,000 miles or square miles. It's almost the same size as the entire state of California. One gigantic city. Verse 10 and 11. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, sending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like the light of a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city is going to be just shining and radiant with light. The very glory of God is going to be bursting out of this city. Can we imagine what it's going to look like to see this? We know there's going to be 12 gates. Verse 18 tells us the wall is going to be made of jasper, this precious stone. It describes the gates on each wall. The, the foundations are all going to be made out of precious stones of the names of the apostles. And you can read the names of all the stones. Verse 21 tells us that the streets are going to be made of pure gold. In fact, it says, it's, it says pure gold as transparent as, as glass. I was wondering what that meant. I mean, gold's not transparent, right? Well, I looked it up, and actually it can be translated as like a mirror. This, the gold is going to be so shiny, so polished, so reflective, that everything is going to be just like mirrors everywhere. Now, imagine you have a city like that where everything's made out of gold, polished, as shiny as a mirror, and then you have the glory of God in the middle of all that, and just reflecting off everything. I mean, I don't think we have any idea how beautiful this city is going to be. I mean, down here in this world, I, I like cities at night. I'm glad I don't live in one. I used to live in Chicago, which had about 12 million people. We live in a little tiny town now. We've got about 50 people in my town. And the next town's almost 20 miles away. I mean, we're living in the middle of nowhere. But I like cities looking at them at night, don't you? I mean, the lights are pretty. It's nothing compared to what this city is going to look like. Glory of God's just going to radiate out. In fact, chapter 22, verse 5 says, there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. God himself will just flood the city with the light of his own glory, his own presence. You don't have to worry about flipping on the screen. I mean, it's going to be so bright you won't even need the sun to see. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. River of life, living water flowing right out of the throne of God. When you read in Ezekiel, it describes the same scene. And the river just gets bigger and bigger and bigger the farther it gets from the throne of God. Verse 2 says, In the midst of the city, the street of the city, on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You know, I wondered, used to wonder why in Isaiah 66 it says, From one Sabbath to another, and from one new moon to another, all flesh will gather together to worship God. Well, I think this is why we go gather together every new moon, because there's going to be a new fruit every month. 
I don't know, this is like the, the standard Adventist table discussion. Like, what kind of fruit do you think is going to be on the tree of life? Oh, I think it's going to be mangoes. You, know, you ever had that discussion? Well, I've had that more than one house. I think it's going to be 12 completely new fruit that we've never even... It's going to be better than anything we've had, and they're all going to be different. I mean, I don't know. That's just my personal thoughts. It says that the leaves of this tree are going to be for the healing of the nations. Now, I've wondered about this verse, and I may be wrong on this, but, uh, but uh, why are you going to need healing when you're in heaven? But I like to just think maybe one of the reasons we're not going to have any health problems in heaven is because of these leaves. I mean, if you stub your toe, you just wrap a leaf around it, and it just heals up. Or you get a little upset stomach or something, you just drink some tea with, made from the leaves from the tree, and it just goes away. Or, or you know, you, you haven't been to the tree of life in a while, and someone says, oh, you're looking a few weeks older than I said. Oh, I need to go back and get some more leaves. And just whatever you need, I mean, it just solves any problem that you have. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I've wondered another thing. Thinking about the tree of life, you know, in the Garden of Eden, there are two trees, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And the reason that we were expelled from the Garden of Eden was because we had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, behold, man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat. You know, God didn't want us to be able to know good and evil and to be able to live forever at the same time. But I wonder, when we get back to heaven... Uh, thanks to what Jesus has done, if we'll still have access to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I don't know. Some people think we'll no longer have that knowledge of good and evil. I personally think we will. It will actually be safe to have the knowledge of good and evil because that's part of our purpose in heaven, isn't it? We're going to be able to travel throughout the entire universe to warn other unfallen worlds about the dangers of sin. We're going, to know, we're going to be the only beings in the entire universe that have ever tasted sin and been redeemed. I don't know. Anyway, it's going to be amazing. Of course, what perhaps is even more amazing is not the things that are there, but the things that are not there, right? Look in Revelation 21, verse 27. There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles, neither whatever works abomination or makes a lie, but that they which are written in the Lamb's book. There's going to be nothing corrupt or impure or nothing, no, no liars, no thieves, no murderers, no criminals. None of that is going to be in heaven. It's going to be a perfect place. Verse 20, 22, verse 3, there shall be no more curse. I don't think we really understand how pervasive the curse is that we live under in this world. I mean, this is why we have keys to our cars and locks on our doors and passwords to our email accounts because we live in a world that's cursed. Everything is messed up by this curse. If you ever grow a garden, my wife and I, we've been doing gardening for years. And you know, gardening is not easy because you constantly have weeds coming up and bugs coming in and the plants aren't, are, don't always do well. But it seems like we're just under this constant curse. You, you, I mean, it's like it's so normal we don't even think about it. When we bought our house in North Dakota, we kind of got a fixer-upper, and, and uh, so I was telling uh, Jeff, we, we, we had to, we put all new floors in, we put all new trim in, we repainted the walls, and we did all kinds of stuff to trying to get our house, and you know, it seemed like, I'm not a great handyman, so that's probably part of the problem, but it seemed like whenever we tried to put the floor in, it just wouldn't quite fit right, or we'd put the trim in, and the angles were just not, they're off just one or two degrees, and just 
nothing was quite exactly perfect. No matter how hard you tried, in this world, everything you do is touched by the curse. But when we get to heaven and you plant a garden, everything is going to go just right. When you remodel your house, everything's just going to come together just right. Instead of the curse, we're going to be under the blessing of God. No more curse. I can't wait for that. Not only no curse, but no tempter. In fact, no more sin. It's going to be so thoroughly eradicated that it will never rise up again. The Bible says, Eye has not seen, nor ear hath heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man that which God has prepared for them that love him. We, we can't fully grasp what heaven is going to be like. Does anyone know what the next verse says? <laughs> but God has revealed them to us by his spirit, right? I mean, we, we can't imagine it on our own, but God has given us a picture in the word of God what heaven will be like. He's revealed it to us by his spirit. Now we see through a glass, darkly, dimly, but one day we're going to see face to face, and this picture of what heaven will be like will be fully revealed to us. Now we know in part, but then we'll know in full. I'll tell you my favorite verse about heaven. And uh, you probably have yours, but this is mine. Revelation 21, verse 24. Revelation 21, verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. you catch what that verse says? When we get to heaven, the kings of the earth are going to bring their honor and their glory into the new Jerusalem. They have their country homes. And every so often they're going to go into New Jerusalem and they're going to bring their honor and their glory. Well, you know who the kings of the earth are? The Bible says God has made us kings and priests, right? We're all going to be, we're all going to be royalty in heaven. And every so often we're going to... I mean, I have a couple of friends of mine, for example. One guy, his name is Victor, and he's an amazingly talented musician. He can play anything. And he not only plays instruments, but he makes instruments. I mean, all kinds of different shaped guitars, and, and he, he's, he's his master craftsman, and as soon as he makes it, he can just start playing. It's incredible. My daughter, she studied art. She was at Walla Walla, got her degree there, and she does the most beautiful paintings. She does incredible ceramics. I mean, she can do some amazing... I had a friend of mine at our last church. He was one of our older members. He was a master carpenter. You go to his house, and it's just beautiful, ornate. The woodwork, everything is just spotless, Right? When we get to heaven, we're all going to be doing amazing things. Maybe it's making, maybe making some instrument or doing ceramics or whatever. Maybe it's some other kind of art or maybe writing poetry or doing research or doing experiments or, or some invention. We're going to be building things. And whenever we were doing in our country homes, you know, every so often we're going to go into the scene and say, look, look at this. And people can say, wow, that's amazing. Constantly sharing and growing and learning and developing all in our country homes, then we come together and share what we're learning. And everyone's so excited, constantly pressing forward to achieve new heights. I don't think we've thought enough about how amazing heaven is going to be. I made a list of ten things we're going to be able to do in heaven. There's lots more, but these are just some that I can't wait for. Real quickly, animals. 
You realize, you know, this is what kids always say, oh, I want to slide down the neck of the giraffe, I want to ride on the back of a lion. But you know, the whole animal kingdom is going to be completely redesigned. So if you have studied zoology or entomology or ornithology or something like that here, when you get to heaven, the whole animal kingdom is going to be changed. And we're going to rediscover what the animal kingdom was originally supposed to be like. It's going to be fascinating. The system that God had in mind originally for the animals, we're going to be able to explore that and discover that in an unpolluted, unfallen environment. We think what we have here is amazing. It's going to be even more amazing there. And think of all the animal species that have died out over the last 6,000 years under the curse of sin. I imagine they're all going to be recreated. We're going to get to explore all of them. And and their environments and plants. I, I did landscaping when I was younger for a number of years. But in heaven... You're going to have the time to be able to grow. I mean, you plant a seed and then you shape the tree as it grows. You have 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years. I mean, imagine you want to build a, a tree house, for example, right? You can shape the branches of that tree exactly how you want to make the perfect tree house. Well, I don't know, you know, in, in, in Illinois, where I used to live, they would make these mazes out of cornfields. You'll be able to take beautiful shrubs and make these perfect mazes with fountains and all. I mean, it's, we're going to be able to do whatever you want to with plants. It would be incredible. A, a, a real garden. Travel. You know, there's some beautiful places in this world still, you know. But imagine when we get to heaven, all the beautiful little nooks and crannies around the face of the planet. I mean, God's going to design this whole planet again from, from scratch. And there's going to be beautiful just draw, jaw-dropping, beautiful places all around. We're going to be able to travel and visit and see those places. Explore all the sites. Music and art. Mentioned that already. You know, here, some of us, we have that talent. Some of us don't. But in heaven, anyone that wants to will have the ability and the time to learn any instrument or any kind of art they want. Whatever media they like, they'll be able to, whatever they want to do. History. In my uh, postmaster's work, I was studying uh, the history of science particularly, and I'm fascinated by history. But, you know, here we got little scraps of records. I mean, maybe a pottery shard or a little piece of a manuscript or something. We're trying to piece together the picture of what happened, you know, centuries ago. In heaven, all the record books are going to be open and available. And better than that, there will be people from every civilization, every time period in heaven. We can go up to someone that lived in the Roman Empire or in Greece or wherever, and we've been able to talk to them. It's going to be absolutely, if you have an interest in history, heaven's going to be the place to be. Languages, that's what I got my master's actually in modern languages. I love languages. I have too many interests, that's my problem. I've spent too much time in college, I changed my major about a dozen times. But I love languages, I love words and, and uh When we get to heaven, we're going to be able to study the most ancient, obscure, strange languages that you could imagine. And not only study the languages, but find someone that spoke that language, ancient Mayan or Egyptian or whatever. And you're going to be able to, I mean, every, I mean, you know, the joke about trilinguals and bilinguals and, you know, what do you call someone who speaks one language? But some of you probably speak more than one language, right? And you know there's, the way different languages are constructed, they change how you think. We're going to be able to explore all the languages we want. Science, I mentioned. I have a real interest in quantum physics, quantum mechanics, but 
You know, for me to get into that field here in this world would take the rest of my life just to even get up close to the cutting edge before I could even begin to contribute something. It's just too much. I, I can't do it in this life. But in heaven, I'll have, have as long as it takes to study whatever field of science I want to and be able to contribute to it. Amen? Here's another one. Something Ellen White mentions. Be able to study the work of angels. How they've intervened in our life time and time again. Their, their ministry, the, the situations that they were involved in that we, we couldn't see because it was kind of behind the veil. In heaven, the whole spiritual realm, the curtain's going to be pulled back and we're going to see what angels were doing through the entire course of our life. The disappointments, the trials that we went through, how they strengthened us or, or the opportunities that we missed because we weren't in tune with what they were trying to do or, or maybe the prayers that we prayed that were not answered. We're going to be able to see why the angels held back that answer because it wasn't really in our best interest. The blessings that we received. I mean, the whole system of interaction between the material and the spiritual world, it's all going to be pulled back and we're going to be able to explore that and study that to our heart's content. And here's another one. I don't know what you call it, but I wrote down in my notes, I put the ripples of our life. Ellen White says we're going to be able to study every sacrifice, every kind word, every smile, every good deed that we did. And we're going to be able to study the impact of those little acts. And I mean, you put $10 in the offering plate. We have no idea where that goes. But when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to trace exactly where that money went, what it was spent on, and whose life was trained by. And the, because of the impact of that few dollars we invested and that person's life was changed impacted someone else who impacted someone. I mean, we can't imagine how the little things we do are going to snowball. Huge blessings. And we're going to be able to trace all the cause and effect of life in ways that we'll we could never even think about doing here in this world. And here's number 10, maybe the biggest of all. The whole controversy between Christ and Satan, between good and evil, between truth and error, we're going to be able to study the whole thing, the whole story, all the issues from every angle, all the way from the beginning right on down to the final climax. of the. We're going to be able to study that through the ceaseless ages of eternity. And, of course, the cross will be right at the center. That is the resolution of the great controversy. And we're going to understand why and the issues and how it's related, how everything's connected and we will never tire of studying this amazing great controversy between Christ and Satan. One of my favorite statements, uh, I got a couple favorite statements in the book, uh, Education. This is on page 307, describing what heaven will be like. She says, there, every power will be developed, every capability increased. The grandest enterprises will be carried forward. The loftiest aspirations will be reached. The highest ambitions realized. And still, there will arise new heights to surmount, new wonders to admire, new truths to comprehend, fresh objects to call forth the powers of body and mind and soul. And then the next paragraph is even better, if you can imagine that. All the treasures of the universe, universe will be open to the study of God's children. With unutterable delight, we shall enter into the joy and the wisdom of unfallen beings. We shall share the treasures gained through ages upon ages spent in contemplation of God's handiwork. And the years of eternity as they roll will continue to bring more glorious revelations, more and more and more. 
You catch that apart, entering into the, the joy and the wisdom of the unfallen worlds? Think about what has happened here on planet Earth in just the last hundred years in terms of technology, 150 years, whatever. I mean, with our short lifespans, our limited intellect, our poor memory, yet somehow this technology thing has kind of snowballed and it's taken on a life of its own and it's just accelerating. And we've made incredible changes in our world in the last 100, 200 years. Now imagine living on one of these unfallen worlds where you have endless lifespan, perfect intellect, flawless memory, and, you can, and, and, and there's no limitations to what you can study. And this has been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And we get to enter into that. You know, we're the baby planet in the galaxy, right? You realize that? I mean, well, these planets have been around for a lot longer than planet Earth because when planet Earth was created, all the sons of God from these other worlds, the book of Job says, they all came together to watch the creation. So they've been around longer than planet Earth. And they've been researching and studying the universe without any kind of obstacles or hindrances for longer than this world has been in existence. I think we're going to be able to develop the means to travel to other worlds. Maybe the angels are just going to haul us around. I don't know. But, but, I, but there's no reason that there's not some way that we can figure out how to pass the speed of light barrier. I mean, it's conceivable. Ellen White actually visited one of these worlds in vision. She said there are creatures or individuals of all different sizes. Just reading uh, again last night about NASA, and they, they're doing these experiments with the speed of light, and they've actually generated lasers that are able to exceed the speed of light. They think they're going through some, they use a, one of those EM drives, and, and they think they're somehow it's creating some kind of warp bubble or something. So I mean, when they measure it externally, it seems like it's going fast. I mean, if this is happening right now in our limited ability. What's it going to be like in heaven? I don't think we can really grasp what heaven's going to be like. Revelation 21, verse 3, again. The tabernacle of God will be with men. He will dwell with us. We will be his people. God himself shall be with us and be our God. The center of the universe will be right here on planet Earth. A multi-galaxy empire. And we get to be part of that. We're going to be able to sit in thrones we're going to be judges. We're going to be his special agents, his representatives, his ambassadors to all the unfallen worlds. Verse 4 says, God will wipe away every tear. Sorry, chapter 22, verse 4. We shall see his face and his name shall be in our foreheads. We're going to be able to see the face of God and his name, his character will be in our foreheads. Friends, it's real. It's going to happen. These words are faithful and true. When we make it to heaven, we're going to be able to hear God himself sing over his people. It says that in Zephaniah 3.17. You know, it doesn't cost anything to go. Actually, it costs everything. But it doesn't really cost anything. Revelation 22.17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, let him that hears say, Come, let him that is a thirst Come. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life, what? Freely. 
Verse 14 says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, may enter into the gates of the city. I mean, there's conditions, but, but God's the one that provides everything we need to fulfill those conditions. So there's really no cost. It's going to be free. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beyond our wildest imagination. He's revealed some of it through his word, but we just get a dim picture of what heaven's going to be like. But the more we reflect on it, the more it motivates us to give everything we have to God that no matter what, we're not going to turn back to the world for nothing. Because we know that we have a, a city that's waiting for us. Amen? May the Lord help us to be ready when Jesus comes. Let's have a closing word of prayer. Father, as we think about what heaven is like, we just looked at a few verses tonight, but it's a beautiful picture. You have something so special planned for your people. I pray, Lord, that you would make that picture more real to us than ever before. That as we go through our day, that we would just have a bounce in our step, a smile on our face, because we know that you're preparing a place for each of us, and one day you come and take us home to be with you. We say all the, the struggles in the world, maybe some of us are going through those struggles ourselves. Lord, our hearts are heavy, but the hope lifts us up and encourages us. Lord, help us not to lose sight of the promises that you have for your people. And I thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.